0: You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Kyle, as Keith already introduced me. Um, I'm one of the members here. Um, It's my privilege and honor to get to preach to you this morning. Um, If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles now. We're gonna be looking at 2 Corinthians 12. I meant to look to see what page that was in the Black Bibles, but I forgot to do that beforehand. But if you could turn to 2 Corinthians 12, we're gonna look at verses one through 10 this morning. And when you do have that open, would you mind standing? Um, As I read God's word, I want us to stand in reverence for it. 2 Corinthians 12, verses one through 10 say this. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which men may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, we all come to you this morning from different places with different dispositions. Some are coming already joyful and eager to to worship you. Um, Others of us come in dragging our feet, barely able to will ourselves to come here this morning, discouraged, maybe feeling hopeless, tired. Lord, wherever we come to this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would meet us in God's word here, and that he would, through your infinite wisdom and knowledge and goodness, um, edify our hearts, strengthen us in Jesus, um, give us hearts of worship and praise, give us hope for the days to come, and help us find a joy that surpasses all understanding. I ask this in his name, amen. Uh, so, um, as, as Keith already mentioned, we started last week a sermon series on lies that we believe. Josh did a fantastic job of getting us started with that last week. Um, and I'm gonna be continuing that, that series this morning. Um, I, I just wanna start off by saying that I love that we're doing a series like this. I think our elders are really wise in planning it. Um, one of the core tenets of Christianity is that we cannot trust ourselves. Now that might be hard to hear, but it's true. Um, One of the fundamental realities of Christianity is that we cannot trust ourselves. Our feelings and thoughts don't always match reality. In fact, they usually don't. Um, That's one of the most troubling aspects of our lives. I feel things all the time, but that doesn't mean that they're true. We have to challenge our feelings and thoughts, not just give full credence to them. And with that said, that is why it is so precious that we have this. The Bible is true and it is right. It is the inerrant word of the creator of the universe. The one who controls the very essence of what is reality, he's the one that wrote this. He's the one that gives it to us. He's the one that guides us by it. So where we can't trust ourselves, we can trust him and we can trust it in turn. Um, And that's really what the point of this series is, to look at specific lies that we commonly believe in our own hearts and test them against the scriptures. Um, I could say, this is how I see it, therefore I know this is true. Or I could say, this is how I see it, let me make sure that's right. Do you see the difference there? There's a profound difference between those two statements. The first person gives their emotions authority over their life. The second person submits to a better authority. And if you wanna see someone who's thriving, find someone who is the second person and then pulls out their Bible. Someone who says, this is how I see it, but let me make sure I'm right, and then they pull this out. That is someone who is healthy, that is someone who is thriving in this life. The latter position that I just described is in my opinion one of the greatest marks of maturity in a Christian. Um, And so again, I'm glad that we're doing this sermon series and I'm glad to be a part of continuing it. With that said, today's lie is a simple and pervasive one that we're gonna look at. I am incomplete. I want us to consider that that feeling we get when we're missing something. That's really kinda at the heart of what it means to feel incomplete. There's lots of things, even very good biblical things that we desire. We want love. We want freedom. We want financial stability. We want to be healthy. Those are great things to want. God wants us. to want those things. But oftentimes those wants cross a line in our souls. We begin to believe that we're incomplete, that we're not whole, and that we cannot truly be happy until we have those specific things. Our lives can look great in most other respects, but that one disappointment, that one thing that's missing taints are a joy in everything else. I know I'm not the only person that experiences this. If not all of us, the vast majority of us know this feeling. Over the years, one of my biggest struggles has been self-pity. I look at things that I wish I had that I don't, I see how other people have them and I don't. I think about how unfair my lot has been and I pity myself. Um, And at the core, this gets at that belief of I am incomplete. I don't think I'm whole yet. Other people are, but I'm missing something. And I want that and I need that. At least that's what I feel. But again, here's the question. Am I? Let's test those thoughts and feelings against scripture. I know I feel incomplete, but am I actually? As I said earlier, I have to test those feelings, and that's why I am preaching on today's passage. 2 Corinthians 12, specifically verses one through 10, even more specifically, really verse nine, has helped me experience growth in this area of my life it's helped me to see that I am whole in Christ. From Paul's interactions with Jesus, I have found so much comfort, and so I hope you experience that too. Um, Let's turn our attention to the text now. With that said, I'm not going to reread it, but on on your own time, look back at verses one through seven. It's really interesting paul it's kind of confusing the way that paul's talking here he starts by describing this quote-unquote person who has had these remarkable revelations he says that this person has been taken up to the third heaven Um, now we don't really use that language today to the ancient hebrews the first heaven was considered like the sky where birds are flying. The second heavens was outer space where the stars and the moon were. The third heaven was considered what we consider heaven. That's where God resides. And so this person that he is describing is having an otherworldly experience with God, something beyond our comp- comprehension. He even says that it's beyond being able to be uttered. Oh. But by the end of his story in verse seven, you'll notice Paul's acknowledging that this person is him. So he's starting off by saying there's this person, I'm not gonna say who it is, who has this remarkable experience with God. But then we see by the end of his story in verse seven that this person that he's talking about is actually himself. He's had this experience. He's trying not to brag about it, but Paul himself is the one who has experienced this. Paul was an extraordinary man, and that makes sense. Christ equips us for the tasks that he plans for us. And I would argue that no one in history, save for Moses, was responsible for more than Paul. Both men received unique revelations from God. They were charged with extraordinary tasks and they were given extraordinary gifts. This is one of those that Paul received. But here's the thing. Paul, with all of his spiritual greatness, was still weak. As extraordinary as his life was, his life was not perfect. He had personal deficits. He had deficiencies, he was inadequate. At least one of those personal deficits was so debilitating to him that he repeatedly asked God to take it away from him. We see that in verse seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we're seeing here, Paul has this incredible weight on him. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh is. I don't even want to speculate too much about it, because we just simply don't know But he wanted Jesus to take it from him. The point is that it caused him great anguish and Jesus refused to fix it. That's what's what's most fascinating about this text to me. Here is an incredible man of God facing something that's debilitating, that's probably hindering his ministry. And when he asks God to take it from him, he says no. Why? Well, Paul admits that, in part, it's to keep him humble. It's to help keep him from being conceited. That's part of the reason why God is allowing him to endure this. But Jesus answers more in verse nine. He says, his, that is Jesus's, grace is sufficient for him, for his power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's understanding, and Paul understanding that utterly changes how he chooses from that point forward to live with this weakness. Instead of continuing to seek freedom from it, he learns to carry on joyfully despite its ongoing presence in his life. Paul wanted relief. He wanted to feel whole and strong again. He was unhappy, but as Jesus' words, but at Jesus' words, his outlook was able to change. I want you to share that experience with Paul. I want you to see how in Christ you are not incomplete. Where you lack, possibly in an earthly sense, the Holy Spirit fills up in a heavenly one. We're gonna see what that means as we continue. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are whole. I want you to know that and the joy that that brings. So to see that, I want us to unpack Jesus' words here to Paul. Again, from verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My sermon is basically just going to be a breakdown of that sentence, those two statements, those two ideas. First, we're gonna consider the sufficiency of grace. Jesus says my grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean? And then second, the power of weakness. Jesus says my power is made perfect in weakness. And what does that mean for us? Um, What is Jesus trying to tell us here? Let's see. So first, the sufficiency of grace. What does Jesus mean when he says that his grace is sufficient for us? I think it's helpful to start by pointing out what it doesn't mean. Jesus can't mean here that his grace will remove all of our earthly problems. He can't mean that because he didn't take Paul's. So that must not be what he means. Paul has grace, but he still has his thorn in the flesh. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And I think it's, it's worthwhile to notice what Paul considers a weakness here because I'm throwing around a lot of different language. The lie, the lie that we're addressing this morning is I am incomplete. But Paul doesn't necessarily use that specific language here. But I hope you'll be able to see as we continue the connections between feelings of incompleteness and the language that Paul is using. Um, But let's look at verse 10. I want you to see what he has in mind when he's talking about weaknesses. Paul says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." That is why I'm preaching on this passage. Like I said, I'm trying to combat the lie, I am incomplete, and Paul doesn't use that language. What we see here, Paul is equating his weaknesses with suffering. The things that make us feel weak, the bits of our lives that feel unfair to us, those are the things that Paul is talking about here. And those are the same things, sorry. Um, those are the same things that Paul's talking about, and those are the same things that cause us to feel like we aren't whole. For all of the blessings that he had, Paul lacked many things. Just read the book of Acts, for instance. He faced personal attacks, he faced betrayal, he faced loneliness, he endured regular setbacks and disasters, like literal disasters, shipwrecks even. The word he uses for hardships in this passage implies physical and mental disabilities. Paul likely had weaknesses of mind and body that made it difficult for him to complete his ministry. Those are all things that Paul had in mind when he was talking about weaknesses. Life was hard and frequently, frequently did not go well for him. As one might say, Paul got dealt a bad hand. Life can feel that way for many of us too. And that's where a lot of those incomplete feelings come from. We can't catch a break and we hold out for that one bit of fortune that will turn things around for us. We want relief, we feel like we are on the outside looking into a world of happiness. And if we just had that one thing, our lives would be better. And you know what? In one sense, it's possible that that could happen. There are earthly solutions to many of our problems at times. There was one for Paul. I mean, whatever it was, I'm not sure what it was because we don't know what his thorn was, but he, was at, he at least knew that there was one because he prayed for it three times to God. But New City Jesus didn't take Paul's problems away. He simply said that his grace is enough for Paul. This should cause us to rethink our understanding of what it means to be whole. Mm, What does it mean to have a satisfying and complete life if it doesn't mean getting what we want? We need to make sure that we are defining it the way that Jesus does. For one, Jesus is making it clear that wholeness does not come from earthly comfort or success. Mm. We want it to. That's what feels good to us, but that isn't what defines being whole. Our joy does not, is not dependent and should not be dependent upon having a life free from suffering and hardship. That doesn't make us whole. Jesus' words teach us that satisfaction can and should be experienced even in the midst of life's trials. What we truly need is not strength or ease, it is grace. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is reminding Paul that he already has that. Mm -hmm. Notice that Paul does not include sin and temptation in his list from verse 10. That is not what he's asking Jesus to take away from him here. And I, I was thinking about like why is that? And I think it's because Paul knows Jesus already has taken those sins from him. He's asking Jesus to take the suffering, but he doesn't need to ask Jesus to take the sins because he knows he already has. And it's, I, I could be reading too much into this, but I really do think that's true. And I think it's a beautiful display of faith in Paul's life even in the midst of his hardship and pain. And look at how Jesus leans into that idea. He knows Paul's heart. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That that seems like a simple statement, but I think there's a lot of subtext here. I think Jesus is really saying, poor Paul, I know you are suffering, but take heart. The one thing that you really need, freedom from your sins, I've already given that to you. And I know you know that. Remember it and take heart today. Friends, all of us come here today with different trials and hardships. And because of that, we all long for different things. At least we do in an earthly sense. Some of you are desperate for a different job, for instance. Some of you feel so alone and you long to be known and loved. Some of you are plagued by physical and mental health problems that you wish would just go away. Some of you yearn for a break from what seems like constant bad news and failure in your life. Just think about it for yourself. What is that for you? It's not always the same thing, but we frequently have something. So many things leave us feeling incomplete and in need, but the one true and eternal need that we all have has already been satisfied for us in Jesus's death on the cross. That is what he's telling us. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't wanna come across as trite. I don't mean to belittle the real pain and suffering that you may be feeling. I don't want you to just think that I'm saying, oh yeah, you have these deep longings, these this deep anguish that you're experiencing, but that's okay, because you have Jesus. Don't hear me saying that, but hear, me. Hear me out on this. There is a literal eternity of difference between suffering with Jesus and suffering apart from him. If you have Jesus, no matter how bad your earthly suffering has been, you are still better off than the person living the ideal life apart from him no suffering in this life can compare to the future torment of being separated from God for eternity. And at the same time, no pleasure in this life can compare to the endless joy you will experience in the presence of God forevermore. That eternal perspective is everything. It is a way that Jesus views the world and it's the way that we should too. That outlook doesn't ignore our pain, it doesn't sweep it under the rug, it doesn't say that it doesn't exist, but it offers us hope and gratitude even in the midst of it. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are assured an eternity free from pain and suffering. You are promised beauty and peace You will bask in the glory of God like flowers of the field thrive in the light of the sun. Your life is promised to get better than it is right now. That is your guarantee, so take heart in that. At the same time, the opposite is true if you have not placed your faith in Christ. For those who don't turn from their sins, They will be miserable without the goodness of God, like a fish is without water. Their life is promised to get worse. That is your guarantee because of your sin. But friends, if that is you, you have reason to take heart too because your story need not end there. I want every single one of you to know that Jesus is offering you the first life. He loves you he died so that you could have it entrust your life to him believe that he paid for your sins on the cross the christian life does not mean that you will be without hardship we want to think that it will but it doesn't in fact in some ways it will make your life harder there are desires there are longings there are temptations that we are called to deny ourselves but a life with Jesus means that all of our weaknesses and suffering will pale in comparison to the strength and pleasure promised us after this life. Paul says it himself perfectly a bit earlier in 2 Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is why Paul responds the way that he does to Jesus' statement. Look with me at verses nine and 10. So Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then this is Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You guys, he's encouraged by the hope that he has in Jesus and that allows him to be glad even in his weaknesses. His thorn is nothing compared to all that Jesus has given him. There's more to it even than that, though. We've still got to look at the second half of Jesus' response. And I would argue that this is perhaps the more confusing part of his statement. Let's consider that now. Jesus says his grace is sufficient for Paul, but then he goes on. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's gonna be our second point. I wanna start by saying, I'm glad that Jesus kept talking here. Um, I'm glad he didn't simply say, my grace is sufficient for you, and just ended at that. And the reason for that is because (laughs) just saying that, my grace is sufficient for you, still leaves me with questions. It's true that his grace is enough. What we gain in his grace is far more than we miss out in our hardships. I just talked about that, not questioning that at all. But that still doesn't answer the question of why Jesus doesn't take our weaknesses from us. He didn't have to leave Paul with his ongoing thorn. So why did he? Is his grace, If his grace is enough for us, why let Paul and us continue to feel like it isn't? Do do you see what I'm saying here? Why let us feel incomplete if we aren't? What is the purpose of our ongoing weaknesses? I think Jesus tells us here. But pay attention. Don't overlook the the structure of this sentence. That's the place we want to start. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Pay attention to the for there. It's not... My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. For is a significant word here. The conjunction shows that the first statement is built upon the second one. It's conditional on it. So let me, let me rephrase the sentence. Let me rephrase what Jesus says here so that you can better see what I mean. By saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Jesus is saying, Because my power is made perfect in weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. This is why I point that out. Jesus is is explaining a fundamental aspect of his character here. Jesus is not the kind of God, you guys, we do not have the kind of God who only rewards those who are self-sufficient. His love is not for the skilled and competent. He doesn't make trophies of the best and brightest. Jesus is the kind of God whose heart and love is for those who need him. His power is reserved for the weak, not the strong. Someone doesn't need grace, which is by definition unmerited favor, unless they've done something wrong to put them in disfavor in the first place. But that's what God wants to give us. He wants to give us grace. Lucky for us, Jesus is a God who wants to be depended on by his people. He wants to come through for us. He wants to be our champion. He doesn't reward those who are already strong. He lifts up the needy. That is why his grace is sufficient for us. He doesn't save us a little bit. His power is made perfect in weakness, not strength he doesn't save a little bit he doesn't just give us a boost so that we can do the rest on our own he saves us to the uttermost you guys he does all of the work and he is happy to do it plus this is how he wants his power to be on display in this world when we are weak our dependence on christ magnifies his glory his love and his worth His power is most clearly displayed in our weakness, not in our strength. Think about it. If I am strong, all the world sees is me being competent and self-sufficient. Jesus isn't part of the picture at all. He doesn't need to be. It doesn't look like I need him at all. But what if I am weak and needy? Well, that also depends on my response. If I'm weak and needy and I complain about it, if I believe the lie that I am incomplete, I want things to change but they don't so I become resentful about it, Jesus still isn't in the picture. My life isn't displaying him at all. But what if I respond the way that Paul does in this passage? What if the world thinks I should be unhappy, that I should be upset that my life is unfair, that I don't have something that I, sh- I, am, I deserve or I need? What if the world sees that I am far from having and living the American dream, but instead of being unhappy, I'm rejoicing and content knowing that I have Jesus? That, my friends, is something altogether different. That In that picture, I am showing the world that Jesus is greatest in my heart. I am showing the world that nothing is more important than him. Since I have him, I can lose everything else and still be content. That life magnifies the glory of Jesus. That life adorns the gospel in all its brilliance that is how his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Our weaknesses give us opportunities to show that Jesus really is our greatest and only need. They also give us opportunities to learn how far Jesus' love will go for us. Our weaknesses are the places in our lives where we are able to give the clearest testimony to the glory and love of Christ, as I've already been saying. Without them, his life will not shine as brilliantly through our lives. We don't wanna think that. We want to think, oh, in comfort and ease, that's where Jesus will be on greatest display in me. But that's not the case, because he loves us and he wants to support us and strengthen us and build us up. To put it another way, our weaknesses give us the chance to exercise our faith. Yeah. I, I've had this, I've experienced this firsthand in many different ways. I was trying to think of one of the many examples in my life that I wanted to share this morning about how I have really wrestled with my weaknesses. I am someone who has prized self-sufficiency. I am someone who, um, I, I'm not big on like personality tests and things like that, but um, I, I took the Enneagram a while back, just like one of the online versions, and I'm like a type one, which is, I don't even remember what it's called, but it's basically, I am driven by my need to succeed and strive for perfection, to be the best. Um, I'm, a, I'm an achiever at heart. Um, I want and oftentimes feel the need to be the best at whatever I'm doing. And in so many ways, the Lord has <laughs> made sure that that is not the case in my life. Um, so j- just one example. Um, I another thing that I pride myself on being is someone who is a very rational thinker. I consider myself to be very level headed. Most of the time have very good control over my emotions. Um, For a long time, I would have said that that was one of my best attributes, honestly, Um, without even realizing it, I I really was putting a lot of my security in that. Um, I would acknowledge that I have had plenty of faults, but at least that wasn't one of them. Um, It was my redeeming quality in a lot of ways. That was um, destroyed for a time though. Um, There were several years of my life when I was the exact opposite of that. Um, For about five years, I dealt with recurring bouts of pretty severe depression. Um, It was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Uh, My mental faculties that I never questioned before that I um, very much took for granted previously. um, My mental faculties that were previously something I felt like I had such good good control over were during this period of my life something that I completely lost control over. Um, The seemingly one good thing that I could boast in seemed to be stripped from my life. And I don't think I necessarily recognized this at the time, but I was terrified that God would forsake me because of it. I thought that if I couldn't even get that right, get my emotions under control, then God wouldn't accept me. Um, I was... I thought that I was more trouble than I was worth at that time. And you guys, the the remarkable thing is this, that I was and still am more trouble than I'm worth. Um, That facade disappeared for a time, but that was always true. Um, But the beautiful thing is that that doesn't matter to God. I wasn't worthy on my own I never have been. So he gave me worth through Jesus Christ. And that season of my life where I was brought fully and clearly to my knees before the reality that I am weak and inadequate, God taught me that. That I wasn't worthy on my own, but he still gives me worth through Jesus Christ. Instead of forsaking me, he loved me through the depression. And my faith is so much stronger now for having gone through that. I was so afraid to be weak in that area of my life because I thought God expected more of me. He used that to prove the opposite, though. He not only saw me through that trial, but he made me stronger in the end for having gone through it. New City, that is the purpose for your weaknesses. That is the purpose for those deep longings of your heart that never go answered. They are not there to highlight how incomplete you are. They are there because if you are willing to trust him, Jesus will show you who you are through them. You might not feel like enough, but you are enough for him. You have been made whole. We don't always feel that way because sin and suffering are still in this world. But look beyond what you are lacking. When you fight for joy amidst your own shortcomings and needs, when you face bad news and failure with peace, you are glorifying Jesus. You are the conduit through which his power is being perfected in the world. It is its own unique reward to know that our lives can honor Jesus more through our suffering and neediness than through our strength and self-sufficiency. It's not comfortable, but it is a unique and beautiful reward. Friends, I hope you see that too. That is why it is a lie to believe that you are incomplete if you are in Christ. To be incomplete means to lack something vital and necessary. That was true of you once before, before you placed your faith in Jesus. But that will never be true of you again. You are whole because you have all of Christ. He has given himself fully to you. All of his love, all of his grace, all of his glory. You have all that you need. There is nothing to earn anymore. He has filled you with his spirit and his guarant- and he has guaranteed you salvation. There are longings that you experience in this life that will not go away. But I believe that there is a, That is only so Jesus can, can fulfill them in an even better way later. Amen. What do I mean by that? I want to finish by reading from Revelation 21. God reminds us that this is what awaits us. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. New city that awaits us on the other side of our weaknesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am inadequate. All of us are inadequate. There are so many things that leave us wanting in this life. There are so many things that we wish were different. Thank you for being a God who not only promises us something infinitely better, than those trivial things that we long for in this life. But thank you for being a God who uses those weaknesses to magnify yourself through us. Thank you for using those things to glorify yourself through our lives. Thank you for giving our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failures purpose, Help us to see that. Help us to know that. Help us to feel whole. And even when we don't, help us to know in our hearts that we are. Give us that strength by your word. And in all of that, help us to worship you. Help us to be thankful for our Lord and Savior who made all of this possible. ask this in his name. Amen. So now uh, we enter a time where we're going to reflect, remember, and rehearse as we always do after the sermon. First we want to reflect. New City, let's reflect on the message. Let's reflect on the lie that we oftentimes believe that we are incomplete. What is it that makes you feel incomplete? How do Jesus' words hear that my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, how do those speak to you in those feelings of incompleteness? Even if it doesn't feel like it, how has he made you full? Reflect on that. Rejoice in that and then after that reflection we're going to enter a time of taking the lord's supper together in remembrance of what jesus has done for us his grace did not come without a cost jesus bled and died on the cross for us and facing the penalty for our sins and so when we go to the lord's supper we remember that we remember that cost that he paid on our behalf and we rejoice in knowing that since that cost has been paid, we get the freedom and joy and glory of receiving his righteousness. And to take the Lord's supper together, we've got the two stations in the front. You'll come up um, in your own time after reflecting and you'll take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and meditate on what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And finally, after uh, taking the Lord's Supper together, we'll, we'll rehearse, we'll sing together in worship, in ongoing joy, even in the midst of our trials and weaknesses, knowing that no matter how we feel, glory, the gospel is still true. That our feelings don't have the final say. That Jesus has. New City, uh, thank you for letting me preach to you this morning, and um, let's go to to God together.